Now there was a man in Jerusalem called Simeon who was righteous and devout. He was waiting for the consolation of Israel and the Holy Spirit was on him. It had been revealed to him by the Holy Spirit that he would not die before he had seen the Lord's Messiah. Moved by the Spirit, he went into the temple courts. When the parents brought in the child Jesus to do for him what the custom of the law required, Simeon took him in his arms and praised God, saying, Sovereign Lord, as you have promised, you may now dismiss your servant in peace. For my eyes have seen your salvation, which you have prepared in the sight of all nations, a light for revelation to the Gentiles and the glory of your people Israel. The child's father and mother marveled at what was said about him. Then Simeon blessed them and said to Mary, his mother, this child is destined to cause the falling and rising of many in Israel and to be a sign that will be spoken against so that the thoughts of many hearts will be revealed and a sword will pierce your own soul too. There was also a prophet, Anna, the daughter of Penuel of the tribe of Asher. She was very old. She'd lived with her husband seven years after her marriage and then was a widow until she was 84. She never left the temple, but worshipped night and day, fasting and praying. Coming up to them at that very moment, she gave thanks to God and spoke about the child to all who were looking forward to the redemption of Jerusalem. When Joseph and Mary had done everything required by the law of the Lord, they returned to Galilee, to their own town of Nazareth. And I think it's useful to go back just a little bit before what we've read to see what, is, what has happened already. And if we do that, we read about a group of shepherds in the hills above Bethlehem village whose fairly mundane night watch has been interrupted by a supernatural encounter. An angel has appeared announcing the birth of Jesus and telling the shepherds where to find and how to recognize this special baby. A huge choir of angels has illuminated the dark sky, praising God. This is no ordinary night. And the shepherds have then hurried to find Jesus and told everyone present at the birth what has just happened in the fields. And then we find ourselves at today's passage. So it's now about 40 days after Jesus has been born. And according to the law set out in the book of Leviticus, there were three ceremonies that Jewish people were required to undertake after the birth of a child. Eight days after birth for baby boys, there was circumcision, which would have happened at home. Then the purification of the mother after having given birth. And lastly, the presentation of the firstborn son that took place in the temple. And this is the one that's taking place today in the temple. Most Jewish communities today throughout the world have a synagogue and some, sometimes they're referred to as temples. But in this particular time, there's only one temple and it's in Jerusalem. 
It would be considered by many to be the most sacred place on earth. The one place where somehow, somehow, you might just encounter something of heaven, where heaven and earth might meet. So even though most people, unless you were a priest, could never get into the very innermost part of that, it was still the place you might hope to encounter God. Mary and Joseph must have had great regard for the written word of God. Because anyone who's ever had or looked after a tiny baby, you know that it's no wooden feet to travel with one. So putting aside all that practical difficulty, 64 miles on foot or by donkey, they had chosen to not just know what the word of God said, but to be obedient to it and to do it. And now they're in Jerusalem. And as we have a look at how this bit of their story unfolds, we see this wonderful interdependence between word and spirit. How important and incisive in their lives and those around them is the written word of God, together with the powerful presence of the Holy Spirit. I think at this point, historically, it's important also to remember that the Ark of the Covenant, the symbol of the manifest tangible presence of God had been absent from the physical building of the temple for over 500 years since the Babylonians had destroyed Jerusalem. This current temple rebuilt by Herod had no such ark, no holy container for the abiding presence of God on the earth. The day that Mary carried her baby into the temple courts God's presence returned to that building in a manifest way. How very special. The word of God recorded over four years before in Malachi 3 fulfilled, I will send my messenger who will prepare the way before me. Then suddenly, the Lord you are seeking will come to his temple. The Lord you are seeking who was seeking the Lord? Who at this time was actively searching for and expecting this promise in God's word to happen? Well, among no doubt many other faithful followers of God, Luke 2.25 tells us that a man called Simeon was. He was seeking. He was waiting for this promised word to happen. We don't know much about Simeon, but we do know that he was a devout man who loved God, and we know that the Holy Spirit rested on him. And this is no small thing, because at that time in history, not every believer had this. The Holy Spirit could come upon a person for a specific task and could leave again. We're so blessed that since Pentecost, the Holy Spirit lives in each believer. Each one of us gets to be the carrier the holder, the temple of the Holy Spirit. We read about that in 1 Corinthians 6, 19. Some translations say that Simeon was in senior years. I think the inference being because we read that the Holy Spirit had revealed to him that he would see the Messiah before he died. Simeon leaning on the truth of the written word of God and also relying on the intimacy of his own personal relationship with God knew his voice. He was well named, for Simeon means he who hears. He knew the voice of the Holy Spirit, 
for he was prompted by him in verse 27 that day to go to the temple courts. And he was there at just the right time when Mary and Joseph brought Jesus in. Have you ever been prompted by the Lord or moved by him to do something? Sometimes it can seem like quite a dramatic thing. But a lot of the time, it's more of a nudge. It's like a little holy nudge or a prompting. I've experienced that several times. And I just want to tell you very briefly about one of those times. And it's not dramatic. It's just a little mundane thing. But I have a friend that I went to school with years ago, and she's not a Christian. Um, but I love her dearly. She's part of my history. And uh, we still keep in touch. We get together a few times a year. And she always calls with us just before Christmas time. And just before Christmas, it must have been the 22nd or 3rd of December, she called. Um, and before she did, the day before she came, I had a real, I just kept feeling like I should make for her a cheesecake. Now, that was a really unusual thought because coming up to Christmas, I'm not making any cheesecakes. I'm too busy. But also, she doesn't like cheese. She doesn't eat cheese and she doesn't eat cheesecake. So it was a strange thing. But it would not leave me. And so I decided I would make a cheesecake. I made a raspberry ruffle cheesecake because what I had. And I stuck it in the fridge and I thought, how am I going to break? You know, this is a strange thing to do. But she came and she did her visit. And as she was leaving, I went out the fridge and I said, you know, I know this is really strange because I know you don't like this, but I, re I just made your cheesecake. And you know, she welled up. Because they'd had some illness in their family. And traditionally, her in-laws had come the following, just before Christmas Eve. They always came to her house for food. And her sister's favorite dessert was raspberry ruffle cheesecake. And she hadn't been able to get one in the shops. She'd found one which would have been out of date by the time they came. It was just a small thing, but you know, it opened up conversation about God knowing us and loving us. Not at that moment, but over, over the months that followed. It was just a wee thing. But I think it was a prompting from God. It wasn't something I would have done naturally, because I knew she didn't like it. Simeon had heard the Lord not just in that moment, but he'd also heard person from the Lord at least once before. You see, he was holding a secret that was so powerful that it quite possibly had been keeping him alive. Many Jews had been waiting for the Messiah for centuries. Their country was at present overrun by the Roman Empire, but Simeon had read the promises in the written word of God that said that this wasn't always going to be so, and the Lord himself would rescue his people. Simeon's secret, verse 26. It had been revealed to him by the Holy Spirit that he would not die before he had seen the Messiah. Simeon had read the promises and believed. And he had also heard from the Holy Spirit. He was waiting, as many Jews had for hundreds of years, for the consolation or the comforter of Israel. And this promise had already been given by Isaiah chapter 41 and 2. And it's a prayer that had been prayed daily by the Jewish people ever since. And has even prayed today by those Jewish people who still have not yet recognized Jesus for who he really is. And they're still waiting 
to be comforted by their rescuer. Simeon sees God's rescuer in Jesus. He understands that the salvation of all people, not just for the Jews, is dependent on this wee baby. And he understands that Jesus had come to be a light for all the nations. More promises from the written word of God. That one's in Isaiah 42. Simeon saw and he recognized. In fact, he was so convinced that this was the long-awaited Messiah that after taking him in his arms and praising God, he declares that he is now ready to die. Verse 29, Sovereign Lord, as you have promised, you may now dismiss your servant in peace. We often speak those words at funerals. And we say or we sing the words of Simeon and Anuntabitus. And you know, the picture given in the original language is one of a sentry or a guard. Somebody who has faithfully endured a long watch and who is now free to go home. His work finished. Simeon's words emerge out of a life soaked in the word of God and the faith and the expectation that that causes to rise. But how did he know? He must have seen the presentation of many, many babies over years. How did he know that this was the one? And we aren't really told exactly how he knew that. But I think for Simeon, his senses had been trained and developed over many years to recognize God's presence and to hear his voice. He's seasoned in listening to the Holy Spirit. It's a sign of his maturity, a developed ear over a long time. Simeon also speaks into Mary's life, and that's not a sugary word. He doesn't promise her fame and honor, but he prepares her for the suffering both she and her son will experience as he grows up to be rejected by many and to show people what their hearts are really like. And in the last little bit of today's passage, in just three verses, we're told about someone else who was in the temple courts that day. We read about Anna, that she was a widow in her senior years. Depending on how you interpret the text, she was between 84 and 106. And we're told that she chose to worship God in the temple at every opportunity, continually fasting and praying night and day. Now, people didn't actually get to live in the temple so that is probably not literal. The high priest would have had chambers there, but even he probably didn't live there. But what it does mean is that at every opportunity, she was there. That's devotion. It's in the over and over and over and over again that we express our devotion and our maturity and our love for the Lord. In this time, Anna would have been incredibly vulnerable we can't, most of us, begin to imagine the devastation of our loss, although some of you can, some of you know. And thank you for your faithful witness, those of you who have shown Jesus to the rest of us through that. We see in Anna someone who has been intentional through her own agony, intentional in choosing to reveal the grace of God in her life. Her response to life's tragedy has been over years to serve her Lord and to live a life of devotion and expectation. 
We don't know much about her. Her father was Penuel. That means face of God. So perhaps he so reflected the love of a father that Anna just loved God from a young age. Or maybe he had such a close relationship with God that like Moses, he was known for seeking God's face. The family was from the tribe of Asher. Traditionally, the women of that tribe were renowned for their beauty, their suitability as wives for high priests or kings. But the tribe of Asher at this time didn't really have any real representation in Jerusalem. The Jews at that time were principally from the tribes of Judah and Benjamin and Levi. The others often are referred to as the lost ones. But Anna was not lost. Anna was here. And Anna was recognized as someone who had eyes to see and ears to hear from God. In a time when that prophetic gifting had been unusually absent. And now here's the thing. In a religious system run by men, who would take notice of her? Well, God, it would seem, Anna heard in the midst of the busyness and for what had become for some a worship industry, Anna heard she was led by the Holy Spirit. That's what a lifetime of prayer and fasting and devotion and waiting does. You see things other people might miss. 30 years before Jesus begins his public ministry in Galilee, he was already connecting with people like Anna and Simeon. Because God gives grace to the humble and to the pure in heart, the ability to see and to recognize the Lord that's theirs. While Simeon's prophesying over this little family, Anna at that very moment comes up to them, gives thanks to God, and goes and tells everyone who is waiting for their redemption. That is all those who are actually expecting that what the word of God says will happen, happens that the anticipated Messiah has come. Anna, like Simeon, has also been actively waiting for the Messiah. The phrase she uses to describe Jesus, the redemption of Israel, would have been a common figure of speech in that time for the hoped-for one who would come and set them free. The sense is that for all who are looking for redemption to be rescued, that all those hopes are somehow wrapped up in this wee baby that Anna has just seen. Simeon and Anna recognized Jesus, the comforter, the redeemer, in part because they are the ones looking for him. They live in a state of hope and belief. They wait in expectation. We spend a lot of our lives waiting. Waiting can be all-consuming. It's like an occupation in itself. When I was a student, we had a, a, to read a play um, by somebody called Samuel Beckett. I really disliked it, but it was called Waiting for God. Oh, and it, it explores that whole thing. When we're waiting, we can find it hard to think about anything else other than that which we're waiting for. Simeon, he would not die till he had seen Jesus. I think if I'd been alive then and known Simeon and his secret, I'd have been like glue to Simeon. 
because I would have wanted to be been there too, to see Jesus when he did. And there's something that attracts us to those who truly expect God to turn up. We want to be around them. There's often something that they have discovered in the heart of God that we have not yet. Anna did see. And when she did, she couldn't help herself. She couldn't stop telling others. Because when we see who it is that is before us, who is really before us, our response has to be one of awe. To be in the presence of the one who holds everything together and in ways that we can hardly begin to imagine, who fixes our broken lives and rescues us from a life without God, who loves us, we surely have to say thank you and we will tell others. Just a few closing thoughts, word and spirit, the word of God. The Bible is so important. If we don't read it, we won't know what it says. We miss the wisdom and the promises that are in it. And we don't know how to weigh the things that we might believe that God is personally saying to us because we look at those things and we measure them according to the nature and the character of God as revealed to us in this amazing, beautiful book. Maybe you are like Simeon and Anna. And you have been steeping yourself in God's word for years. But if you don't already do this, can I encourage you today, read your Bible. Read it every day. Deepen your relationship with God. Develop your own long history with God because you know what? Nobody else can give you that. Nobody can give you theirs. We all have to get our own. Simeon and Anna both lived in an awareness of the reality of God. Is that how we live? Do we really expect to see him? One day, we can be sure that we will all depart from this earth. Not all may depart in peace. Are you ready just as Simeon was? to depart this world in peace. It's such an important thing to have. I can't imagine a more restless feeling than being unsure about that. Maybe you realize today that you're kind of at a starting line, that you don't actually know God that you don't have a personal relationship with him where you talk to him every day and you look to him and you live for him. Sometimes the first step is just to know that. And you don't need to worry about how that all works out. You just need to take the first step. And there will be people at the front later who can help you to do that if you need to do that today. Or they will pray for you about anything else that maybe the Lord has been speaking to you about.